This podcast is sponsored by Canoe Club. Canoe Club has been one of my favorite retailers for such a long time, so it's a real honor to have them, you know, sponsoring the pod. If you're unfamiliar with Canoe Club, it's a retailer based out of Boulder, Colorado, that carries brands such as you know, Engineer Garments, Visvim, Capital, Nanamika, Levi's, Orslo, you know, Friends of the Pod, Marnie, Solomon, and Popeye Magazine, and so much more. They have such an incredible assortment, you know, ranging from under the radar emerging brands to beloved heritage brands. I had the founder of Canoe Club, Timothy Grindle, on the podcast, which I'll have linked in the description if you're interested in learning more about the retailer. I'll also be showcasing some of my favorite pieces on the Fashion Collective Instagram, as well as in the weekly newsletter. very kind to offer a 15% discount code for all the Fashion Collective podcast listeners. Use code FashionCollective15 to get 15% off your next order. Again, it is FashionCollective15 to get 15% off your next order. The link to the site will be linked in the description for you guys to head over and check out the assortment. Hey, how's it going, Murph? Good, good. How are you? Doing well, doing well. Thank you again, you know, for coming on the podcast. Very excited to have you on. Do you want to share just a little bit about yourself, you know, what you do? Okay. Uh, name is Merv. I am, I guess, co-owner and creative for a brand called Found Feather based out of Japan. I am Canadian, living in Japan for the last 10 years or so with my wife and my family. Um, have background in fashion design and i guess a lot of uh subculture so to say so be music dance um b-boying skateboarding snowboarding and father of two and that's pretty much my story and we'll be getting into of course all of that over the course of the interview moving to the next segment you know style ethos you know how would you describe your own personal style you know this could be through a brand through inspirations or muses Right. Okay. Um, how to describe the style? Basically, I would say uh, like military, vintage, street. I think that's what came to mind. And so the reason why is because going back to um, like skateboarding, uh, b-boying and all that sort of thing, like military garb was just very accessible. So that and the like you know, finding like uh, army fatigues and whatever else we needed for the moment. Like it was very cheap, affordable, and very durable. So that was kind of like the start for that. Um, getting into snowboarding and whatnot led me into like more technical design, uh, just like observing how all the garments kind of like work together and whatnot, how jackets kind of like snapped into pants and the use of like gaiters and whatnot to like keep out the snow. Um, so that introduced me to a lot of like technical function and just understanding how like different technologies were used to kind of keep you safe from the elements, so to say. And then traditional garments, I guess, like suiting and whatnot, that kind of came in later on as I started working more in the fashion industry. But yeah, I guess military vintage street would be the bit, the best way I could describe or answer your question. It makes me interested to hear, you know, what you've currently been obsessed with or into lately. Um, yeah. This could be everything from fashion to cooking to, you know, anything you've done, like outdoor activities. 
um, pretty much again open ended. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, right now, like you know, I've been living in Japan for the last like few years, and um, the area that we're in, we're not necessarily in Tokyo. We're outside of the main cities, so we're west coast in um, a city called Kanazawa. The best way to describe the climate is like proper four season, but like pretty west coast, if I could say, like equivalent to like Portland, uh, Vancouver, like very wet, heavy snow. But you know, a lot of nature, a lot of trails, mountains, lakes, all of that sort of thing. So like proper, proper city and also proper nature, which is I guess the reason why we we also selected to live out there too. Activities and whatnot, like I'm pretty outdoorsy so to say so you know outdoor hikes and outdoor trails um not so much as like trail running and whatnot just like enjoying the outdoors and whatnot just very very basic and simple um hiking and stuff like that i like to do with my wife and now that my kids are getting a little bit older we start doing that as a family um snowboarding also is also something that keeps me outside so that's another thing that kind of has kind of kept me in the elements for like like almost like the last like 20 years 20 five years almost i can't remember how long it's been but um yeah so that's that in a nutshell but you know as far as what else has kept me interested um footwear at the moment is kind of keep it always you know kind of keeps me on my toes i think a lot of what i how i base my style is based off of shoes um and again that goes back to like dancing and whatnot like shoes were pretty much your your everything whatever shoes you were rocking were pretty much determining your outfit to style even to like the way that you moved um so that still holds true now like solomon and hoka have pretty much been the go-tos um especially now that i'm a father like still try to stay active and whatnot to kind of keep my kids out of harm's reach but um yeah solomon for all the activity like the the active footwear that they've been doing um mainly like the xt6 acs and Recently, I picked up a pair of the um, Speedverse. So those have kind of been on my radar. And then with Hoka, it's just I currently have like a the Kaha Highs um, because they're like fully waterproof and just like super, super lightweight. And I think to this day, I haven't been able to find a pair of like cushion like uh, what the Hokas offer. So it's good to kind of have that in the winter um, as well. So those are that's kind of been my rotation for the last like year and a half almost two years what are you wearing like upper body and like trousers wise um okay to be completely transparent i've actually been i've taken on the whole sweatsuit thing so i will admit that first and foremost um brand wise there's a there's a these guys that i work with out like back in canada called uh, house of blanks which ironically the the parent company called rupa they kind of supply most of uh the market, I guess, with their fleece, uh, Supreme being one of them and a lot of the earlier streetwear brands too. So they have a, like a blank program called house of blanks. Uh, I've been pretty much in that for the last like two to three years since my kids have been born. Um, other than the sweatsuit thing guaranteed is like military vintage. So, um, fatigues down to what else is there? Like outerwear outerwear is like a really, really big thing. Let's see, top wise, it's kind of hard to pinpoint, to be honest with you, man. Like, I mean, I'm just looking at my wardrobe right now. And, you know, there's a mix of like Paisley, there's some overdye pajama shirts that are like Czech military vintage. And then what else is there? I have like some Patagonia mixed in there as well. 
Um, it's kind of all over the place, to be honest with you. Like as far as top concerned, um, one thing that's kind of been on the like I've been guilty of is mohair. I've kind of been in mohair for the last two to three years now, and uh, you know. One one advantage of living in Japan is that a lot of like the Nepenthes stuff is actually cheaper than it is overseas. Stuff like needles in South to West State, like I live in that sort of stuff as well. Um, but yeah, like mohair has kind of been on the radar, uh, been using in the rotation. I should I should say. Any other notables? There's always going to be tweed. There's always going to be your wools and whatnot. It's yeah. I mean, I don't know if that answers your question, but hopefully it does. It's like a lot of sweatsuit stuff, a lot of like again vintage and military reused um tops and then just like your basic shirtings like right now i have like paisley shirts that i have in rotation and then um a couple other pieces from like engineering garments but like my those are kind of like my mainstays per se and i think this is kind of a great segue into um, the next segment it's kind of getting your opinion on recent news sure. i would love to just get your opinion on you know japan opening back up where people are visiting what should people keep in mind and what's your you know firsthand experience okay um amazing question to kind it's it's kind of a broad one i'll try to like keep it simple japan during the pandemic kind of went back to how it was like you know if you ask anybody that traveled there in like the early 2000s even in the 90s you know as far as foreigner presence it was pretty much dead um you know you had foreigners kind of living sorry traveling there and whatnot but as far as like living and those sorts of things it wasn't too common to be honest so when the pandemic hit it kind of reverted to how those times were like you weren't seeing too many travelers out almost like zero and so very quiet very local very homogenous just like nothing with japanese people so to have it open up again plus minus um i say plus minus because like Obviously, the economy needs the kick. And, you know, it's good to see it revert back to pre-pandemic, per se. Um, minus in the sense that Japan is still very... They haven't opened up fully. And what I mean by that is that, like, you know, the masking is still very is still pretty non-changed, we'll call it that. Distancing to a degree, but a lot of the covid measures haven't really eased up per se and that's you know kind of like teach their own but personally i would love to see them kind of open up in that realm a little bit more like most of the western world is kind of um opened up and whatnot and just kind of relaxed measures so i kind of wish that japan would follow suit eventually um so that's as far as that's concerned on a day-to-day basis though the thing is, is that like with everything else, like a lot of the tourism aspect got hit because of the pandemic. So um, hosp- hospitality, restaurants, hotels, all that sort of thing. Like what the pandemic really showed is how much Japan relied on tourism. And so now that it's opening up again, um, the good thing is that a lot of those businesses, if they haven't closed, have like a second chance to kind of rebuild themselves to where they left off which is good because like local businesses like a lot of like mom and pop restaurants to like um b&b uh hospitality places like a lot of these places have a chance to resurge again which i'm sure they, they they will be as far as like local advice i would just say just to 
respect the culture as much as possible. Um, a lot of things are going to be different versus like Western views when you arrive in the country. Like again, the masking thing and just the way that they approach COVID. So just respect the culture as much as you can. Um, try to keep your garbage and your waste um, as controlled as possible. Like if you haven't been to Japan yet, one thing you'll notice is that there's no like public um, garbage really. Like the, there's like certain places that you can get rid of your garbage, which is like convenience stores and um, some malls and, and stations and whatnot, but there's not like outdoor garbage facilities like there is in the West. So that's one thing that kind of keeps people shocked because it's like, you know, people like to eat and go or have rubbish as they go. And it's like, well, where do I get rid of this? The way to do it is basically just compile whatever you can. And then once you pass a convenience store, unload whatever you don't need. So that's one kind of like travel tip if you haven't been to Japan. Um, another thing too is pocket Wi-Fi. If you can get yourself a good pocket Wi-Fi set to kind of keep you um, connected, we'll say. And another thing too is that Japan is still a cash-based society. That's another thing that a lot of people don't realize too. Yeah, I'm like again like writing these notes down because you know I plan on visiting in March and I'm like very excited, but I'm also like, what should I keep in mind? I know this is again a very difficult question, but I think you've talked about it a little bit before. Um, but what are some of your personal uh, favorites to shop when you're in Japan? Again, it's just the, the, like I, the way I try to narrow it is just like genre because from genre then you can kind of like go through your a b's and c's favorite places to shop Jeez. <laughs> okay i'll answer that in two phases so i'll start off with like the city that i'm in and then i'll go into like tokyo um so the city that i'm in again is, is called Ishi um kanazawa and it's like the main city of ishikawa which is like the west west coast sea of japan side um out there First shop I'll name off the bat is uh, my buddies over at High Lonesome, who do a lot of like they do online shopping and shipping as well. By the way, not the plug, but had to shout them out. Um, but a lot of like rare military vintage from Europe, from America, from Asia, and at the moment it's a lot. It's pretty much like ninety percent military vintage and surplus and whatnot, but. Just very, very well curated store, super good owner and staff. Um, again, high lonesome. So that would be like my first go-to place. Second would be in my area is also called um, Foremost. So F-O-R-E-M-O-S-T. And they're like a very, very big vintage military dealer as well. Um, it's kind of interesting the way that they run their shop because they also care. They have like a good partnership with Nepenthes and they have like two shops within the store so one store carries predominantly like uh, nepenthes based lines south to needles whatever you call it and then in the front of the shop is foremost and so the interesting thing is that you know you'll 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 see like the nepenthes lookbook for the season and it'll be like whatever suiting mohair for example a certain style trouser or whatever the case and if you want to get those garments that's cool that's available in the back from the same silhouettes though like the originals that those styles are based off of those will be available in the front so like original mohair original like surplus of the outerwear would be based off of all of those pieces would be available in the front so you kind of have two options to the look either if you want to go on the higher end with the price point and whatnot and get from the brand directly or you can get whatever they referenced that season so that's the way that they operate the shop and whatnot. It's just like super, super well curated. So again, high lonesome and then foremost, those are the two that I'll shout out. 
Um, Tokyo. Okay, so with Tokyo, it gets crazy because now you're talking about like neighborhoods and areas. The recent one that I've been kind of hooked to is because it's like a super chill area is Nishihara. So anybody going to Tokyo, there's an area called Nishihara, which is between Shibuya and Yoyogi. And um, just like amazing mom and pop stores as far as fashion, furniture, design, um, coffee and cafes, like all of that's covered. And then in the nighttime, there's a lot of like natural like wine bars and just like super well-designed bars that you can enjoy. So a couple places that I'll shout out. Um, one that's like fairly known, uh, Paddler's Coffee. They're in Nishihara. Um, just super well-connected cafe, well-thought-out design, good music. Just the ideal place that you, you probably imagine. Um, that same owner also has another shop called Bullpen Shop, which deals with um, independent furniture design and also some other Japanese labels, like as far as uh, fashion. So Bullpen Shop is another one I'll shout out. There's another guy who's actually from America. He's a, I believe he's from Brooklyn, if I'm right. Jeremy, forgive me if you hear this. But he runs a barbecue shop. So it's called Freeman's Barbecue, um, which is like around the corner from Paddler's. And just the most amazing pulled pork sandwiches. Just like he's pretty much killed the the, the food game in Tokyo within like a year. So Freeman's Freeman Shokudo is what it, uh, his place is called. And then two doors down from that is a, a wine bar called Wine Flow. And um, it's like the basement level of this, I guess, building and whatnot, but just super well built. It's like a wine cellar that you walk into, but then the front of it is like a, like a, a bar, you know? So you walk in, you're going through people to, get to the wine cellar which is at the back but just like super well designed space super chill owner and whatnot you have your your regular spots i mean like in shibuya and whatnot you can talk to anybody and they'll probably mention the same spots but um as far as that kind of off the radar nishihara would be the the go-to i think it's always really great to uh start off initially with you know how did you originally get into fashion style um design okay so fashion I'll say this off the off the bat. Like I, I never went to school for design or fashion and whatnot. I went to school for graphic design, uh, but that didn't last too long. I actually dropped out, so I'm not like the the technical uh, individual who like you know went to school and got the degree, got the job, and kind of took that path. For me, the introduction happened. If I really have to think about it, it's like going back to like the '80s because like I'm an '80s kid, and so. In 84, you know, breaking like kind of kicks off and like the whole like the whole like uh like hip hop in general just kind of really took off and whatnot. I'm not from the US, I'm in Canada. So Toronto is very close to New York. Hip hop pretty much came to Toronto within I say like 83 to 84. And so that was kind of like my segue into it because you know, that whole thing was just like very, very energetic. A lot of like DIY culture, people like, you know, um, drawing and like painting on their jackets and whatnot. Like the whole graffiti scene was like huge. So that was kind of like the segue. And then even down to like shoes, like fat laces, like the whole nine. So being introduced to that at a very early age for my brother, uh, that kind of like, 
I, I want to say like kind of jumpstarted the whole thing. And a lot of these things, like I have to be honest, like it was just me being a very young kid following whatever I saw and trying to emulate my older brother, to be honest, because my older brother got into breaking first. He got me into it. After that, it became skateboarding. And then I got into it. And so I was always like kind of two steps behind my older brother at the time. Uh, so yeah, skateboarding was next. And then from skateboarding, now you're looking at like the haircuts and all that stuff. Everybody had like the Tony Hawk haircut, all that sort of thing. Uh, now getting into high school, it comes back 360 because then I get back into breaking again, like there's a resurgence. And so this is like the early nineties at this point. Um, so it's a lot of like tapping into what I knew from when I was growing up, but now fashion has changed. So now it's like all, like I was saying earlier, like military surplus sportswear, that sort of thing. And with dancing and whatnot, like you were always like how you dress pretty much like you could spot somebody who had style just be based off of how they dressed you know you could look at two b-boys at the time and it's like okay not to say that if their outfit was whack that their skills were whack but it just showed like somebody's mindset and how they carried themselves so it's like always that i guess extension of like expression per se so you know you're just making sure that your outfits were on point because if your outfit was on point there's a high chance that your dancing would reflect it like you just feel good dancing and whatever you were wearing so all of these things kind of influenced me from a really early age and then when i got into college um i had to decide what it was going to be and so this is like the very early stages of like graphic design as well like nobody really knew what graphic design was like this is like letterpress timing and like very very early editions of like mac os so like it was very dinosaur and whatnot and like you know i kind of to be honest, like I wanted to get into like architecture and I wasn't good in science. And I'm like, okay, screw that. What am I, what's my plan B? And so I just remember stumbling across like, oh, graphic design sounds cool. Let me, let me try this. But I didn't even know what the hell I was doing. So I eventually like, you know, figured my way out, got into graphic design and whatnot. But then that was short lived. Like I only, I was there for like a year, a year and a half out of like a three-year program. The reason why that was short-lived, though, is because I was dancing throughout this whole entire time, and opportunities to travel happen at the same time. So while I'm in college, you know, I'm getting opportunities to travel for dancing, be it competitions, judging, shows, whatever the case. And I'm like, kind of like a quarter-life crisis, thinking like, okay, what do I do? Do I give up these chances, or do I stay in school? I chose to travel, so I dropped out of school, and picked up a, like a part-time job and was just traveling for quite a few years, just dancing, traveling. That was my life. But from that, I saw a lot of stuff. So like going to like the UK, seeing what that early scene was like in the early 2000s to like Spain and like all these other countries and like just taking everything in firsthand. So when that was happening and I was traveling, this is like the early streetwear scene. Um, early 2000s, you know, Supreme, Stussy, Union, all of that's kicking off. This is like first generation Nike SB. All of these things were happening. And when I came back to Toronto, um, it was just coming back to Toronto. Like Toronto had just kind of like caught the bug. And, you know, there's a couple shops that, that started off out there. Uh, Goodfoot, 
livestock and all of these guys were like very sneaker heavy shops again i decided to quit dancing and then i had I just had to figure out the rest of my life and what to do for a career so i figured let me go back to school to just learn like computer programs adobe adobe and like photoshop illustrator all that sort of thing and that was my segue into working um once i learned the, the software and whatnot i just started hustling jobs and so I started doing graphic design, web, and all that sort of thing, but my heart just wasn't in it. And then picked up a like a part-time job, and I was actually working with Stussy. So working with Stussy for actually like quite a while. And um, you know, at that moment, it was just a lot of like DIY. So while I'm working at Stussy, you're meeting a lot of people and whatnot, and it's like, you know what? Let me try making some T-shirts as well. Because like I guess everybody's making T-shirts at this point. Wearing the shoes, got your five-panel cap. Sure, let's make some T-shirts. So I had a, like a quick stint at that with a couple of buddies and, um, you know, it was, it didn't last too long, but like, it was a good kind of segue into understanding how business worked and like, just understanding like operations and all that sort of thing. So after that, I went, I left Stussy. I ended up working with another shop called uncle Otis and I stayed, I was there for like a long time. Um, at uncle Otis, I took on, I started off basically as a part-timer and just almost like an intern per se, and then worked my way up to like uh, assistant buyer production. Like we did a lot of different things before I, I ended up moving. So through my gig at Uncle Lotus, um, I had a lot of good mentors like Martin James, Donnell Lenz. Like these are the guys who are um, above me who took me on. They showed me a lot of the, the ropes and I was just learning like the menswear game. So I was learning like suiting, shirting, all of that stuff, uh, you know, taking trips to like men's market in the States and whatnot for buys. Um, so all of that happened as well. Um, it's a lot of like hands-on and just a lot of DIY. The one story that I cannot forget though, is that going back to like the whole streetwear thing, one of the turning points was my sister because, um, you know, you're young and I didn't have any money. I'll be honest. And, you know, I didn't have any capital. I didn't know anything really about business. I just knew I wanted to do something and you just try to figure out how. And so I knew, like I had all these ideas about garments and stuff because I've been snowboarding for like how many years at this point. And so like, you know, your ideas would just accumulate, accumulate, accumulate. And I remember thinking to myself, okay, I want to, I want to start like making hoodies. I want to start making fleece. Um, I had a very early stint with that. But my sister was the one who put me on because she was a seamstress uh, doing wedding dresses and stuff like that. And she basically showed me how to like do pattern, pattern making and like grading and all that sort of thing. So this was my schooling, like um, working at stores, coming home, putting in work on the sewing machine and doing whatever else I can. And a lot of just like hands on DIY. And then with my sister, like introducing like pattern grading and all that sort of thing, which I had no idea about, um, it helped later on. Cause then as I got into like suiting and like understanding how to make jackets and all that sort of stuff, those basics that I learned from before all came back around and I was using everything that I learned along the way. So a bit of a long-winded answer, but hopefully that answers your question. None of it makes sense, but it does make sense at the end. Um, it's just a lot of DIY and a lot of like persistency to answer your question though. <laughs> oh yeah thank you i mean i think that's a really great way of explaining how you kind of came to you know wanting to start your own brand can you kind of talk, walk us through like those like 
initial days of you know of creating the brand? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so as I mentioned, I you know I had a couple of goals at this. Like Found Feather right now is not it's not the first attempt at doing this. This is actually the third time around. So as I mentioned, the T-shirt thing um, that was in the early 2000s last a few years, and then after that, I had a small stint doing like we'll say like men's contemporary per se. So it's like shirting, um, pants, fatigues, and then fleece. Um, that too lasted for maybe like two, three years, maybe. And then I eventually moved to Japan. Um, so how I started found feather though, was we, so I met my wife, uh, in 2012, I believe 2013, she was child, um, living in Toronto at the time. So she had done the working holiday visa program to study English and was working at a restaurant around the corner from me. Um, I would go to the restaurant daily to grab lunch and, you know, ended up dating her one thing led to another and then we ended up getting married so it came time to like decide okay do we move to canada or or japan canada at the time was just very strenuous as far as like immigration so japan just made more sense we'd be there quicker if we decided so japan won and so ended up moving to japan and at that time i'm going through like a burnout per se so burnout in the sense that like you know i've been working in fashion for a long time i had a couple tries of doing things on my own and i was just like burnt out didn't really have the energy for it still loved it but didn't have that fire and i just needed a break so we moved to japan it was a total change of pace and um i ended up doing to start off i ended up doing um a couple contract gigs with uh, some brands out there just to kind of get myself situated and then that was in Tokyo and then we ended up moving out to my wife's hometown area which is wh- where we're we're still at to the to, to this day but what happened was that after those quick gigs in Tokyo when we moved out to my wife's area like I literally picked up a regular job and you know kind of kept my fashion interest and in, like hobbies and stuff to just free time it wasn't like a, a full everyday thing for me at this point so like going back to like regular life and because i was able to do that it kind of allowed me to like reset my interests and like really refine what i was into you know because in japan like fashion is just like everywhere be it magazines tv like if you want it it's just like it's overload so you know i took a bit of a break um but during that time i'm you know i'm still exploring stores meeting different people and still keeping relationships going and whatnot. And then I've always been a collector. It's good and bad. My wife hates me because I take up too much space. But um, with doing that though, you know, I started collecting a lot of like um, vintage hats, military, like all sorts of different things along the way. And so this would be the premise for found feather. So I knew when we decided to make the brand, uh, the Kickstarter honestly was my daughter being born and so this was around 2018 2019 and it's like you know we've been in japan for x amount of years at this point stacked you know a few connections along the way and we found out that my daughter was on her way and it's like okay we need to i need to do this at this point like if there's any time i need to give it a sec or a third try now now's the time because you know uh family's about to start and the, the whole thing how found like the, even the name came into plays because like so in our area there's like regional animals per se so like every every region in japan has like a 
a regional animal per se that's like you can look it up on like on wikipedia that'll show you um the animals per region of japan for our particular region though it's i'm still confused on if it's either a hawk or a golden eagle but it's it's one of the two that's basically a national or, or the regional bird of our area that we live in so the house that we ended up buying backed a river which then backed a mountain that was literally like our backyard and when we were moving in you know we pulled up to the house one day and there was literally a single feather propped on our doorstep like literally like as if like a mailman had like put it there and it it just seemed too scenic or I, i don't know what you want to call it it just seemed like very unreal that this would happen i'm like okay this just felt and i'm i'm not like super like very like superstitious or anything but it just it just felt like a very strange thing to happen like a single feather landing right in front of your door so i'm like okay this let me pick this thing up and i still have it to this day but i looked into it later on and apparently it's meant to be like a really good omen that you know the we'll call it like a hawk per se but because of the hawk flying so high and whatnot it's meant to be like a, a very knowledgeable bird and if you found if you find a feather it's meant to be like an empowering thing. So this was like five years before we decided to make the brand. And I'm like, okay, everything's kind of coming into play. Time to make the brand. What's the name going to be? It was like two shots of sake. And I'm like, cool, found feather. So, you know, I didn't want to make it all long drawn out and whatnot. Cause that story sounds really crazy, especially when I describe it to people, but it, that's literally what it was. Like we found a feather and it kind of was like good luck. That's it. <laughs> so... We took the name and ran with it, but um, the whole reason why we were able to start was because in our time there and through like a lot of other mentors and friends we met made along the way, um, we got introduced to factories and whatnot and fabric mills, and a lot of the sourcing just naturally came. And so um, I'd also done some work with other labels as well, which kind of gave us um, the green light to use their facilities. So things just came right when we needed it. And then we launched the brand uh, in 2019, very, very light and just kind of kept it very small. And, you know, we kind of just kept it at a very slow, mellow pace to start. And over the year, as the years have gone on, like collection had grown, um, the eyes and, you know, the wholesale had grown as well. But like last year was pretty much like a, a really big turning point because like, our international wholesale kind of sh- like it really, really picked up. So a lot of eyes are on us at the moment. We have a lot of really, really good connections that we've been able to make over the, over the years. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it in a nutshell. But a lot of the the founding or the starting styles and silhouettes and whatnot were based off of what I had collected and stuff that I had in the archives. So it's just a matter of like putting your resources to use. Yeah, it's such an incredible story and like how everything kind of came together eventually and i think you were talking previously just about it's funny how things just work out and they typically work out for the best so you know it's just persistency man because like i could have easily been like you know what we're not staying anymore we're moving back to canada and like you know that could have been a different story you know or you know like forget fashion forget all this crap let's get into hamburgers or it could have been some other randomness but it it's just persistency really. Cause I knew that like, if I had another go, what I would do differently. Cause I'd had like two other chances at it. I knew what I'd done wrong and what, what worked and what didn't. 
so another thing too was just understanding like the japanese market as well and just understanding like the the environment um because even like what they the way that they approach fashion the way that they think the way their buying habits like all of these things matter um and because we're based in japan you know like we're not like an international brand we're just presence there like that is our our home stays in japan itself and like i'll give i'll share like a funny story like i guess uh it was probably like four or five years before making the brand i had a small i just was bored and just wanted to make some t-shirts and did like some graphic tees out in japan and when i when i ordered them i ordered them exactly how i would have if I was like in North America still. So like the size run, if you have like small, medium, large Excel, a lot of the focus at the time was like small and medium. Cause like Japanese guys are all small in stature. I'm like, yeah, of course they're a size small or a medium, whatever the case. So if you imagine like a lot of it being small, medium, and then few large and few Excel, cause who wears an Excel? And then the t-shirts arrive everybody's asking me oh do you have an excel do you have an i'm like oh my god within like a day i knew that i screwed up because everybody was asking for the opposite of what i did and i'm like okay that was a huge learning curve because then just looking at fashion in general a lot of oversized things reside from asia and that's a big thing that's you know it's not only recently it's been happening for a long time in japan as well um there's a lot of different reasons why like climate and like weather and stuff too I mean, like the culture itself, like it's not a very revealing culture as well. So you're not going to see like a lot of like fitted garments or whatever the case, like people generally do wear a loose or oversized clothing. But like, I think if you're moving there for the first time, you're not going to know that. So, you know, it's just a lot of observations before we did the brand and doing like the proper homework. Yeah, I mean, I know that you said that, again, you really want to focus on like the Japanese market going into this year. Um, so it's interesting getting that insight. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Like when I think about some of my favorite brands, like Nanamika, they love like something like a bit oversized and you see their styling, like the bigger cargoes, oversized shirt. So it definitely makes sense. Yeah. Cause like even thinking, thinking back, I wasn't in Japan when the whole heritage thing, like I might be showing my age here, but (laughs) when the whole heritage thing was like, like in north america we'll call it or even in europe it was there for like a long time and so you know obviously like fashion goes in cycles right so during that time you know a lot of people are wearing like there's like the skinny denim thing and like the raw denim movement and like all that sort of thing to like work boots all that sort of thing in japan it i mean it was there but it it never really took the same it never took on the same precedence that it did elsewhere like japan did it its own way and then when that sort of started like phasing out streetwear starts coming around again more relaxed things start coming around again um to be honest with you in japan like they they've always done that though and so it wasn't really a trend like it just it just kind of shifted per se it's not like it fully went away and then made it made a comeback like these elements are always there the scene and the trend just kind of like shifts every now and then yeah what have you seen in terms of like the hat market like what styles are like really popular in japan maybe even opposed to other western cultures okay so it's funny that you say that bigger brims so bigger brims 
and let's talk about like even like fabric like boa fleece is huge um so yeah like style wise and whatnot um the bigger brims like head shapes head shapes are different um no offense to anybody asian i'm i'm asian as well but asians typically have bigger heads let's just call it what it is and so versus like north american um hat sizes and shapes and whatnot there's already like a that's something that you can't ignore and so bigger brim sizes for example that's another thing that's very interesting that's predominantly i would say like an asian thing um if you look at like you know taiwan korea japan like the you'll see a lot of that and so i think that deals with like a lot of like outdoor lifestyles a lot of outdoor fishing vintage as well there's a lot of reasons why that's the case is a is one of the definite things that you'll notice and just to kind of put that into perspective to anybody listening a regular size brim per se like on a new era or whatever hat you want to reference even like a supreme five panel in length you're pretty much looking at like seven to seven and a half centimeters guaranteed width is going to be almost like 18 that's like your standard box style brim um so what i mean by bigger brim from seven and a half now we're going to go to like nine centimeter could be 10 at times and then width from like 18 now we're going to go to like 20 so to put that into perspective it's almost like an old school like double rl like long bill or like llb long bill like those sorts of styles are very common in 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 Asia, especially in Japan, um, getting into fabrics though, like bullet fleece, has it's you know it kind of has its trends in other markets, but it's always around in in Japan from what I've from what I've noticed. Um, like you could always guarantee to like making hats now from this perspective, like you could always get like bank that bullet fleece would always be a consistent fabric that you want to consider. So aside from bigger brims, bigger style hats also. Now, where this starts from, I have no idea, but obviously there's like a, a long history of like mountaineering and those sorts of sp- like sports and activities in Asia, especially in Japan. But like, you know, going into like Nigo, like all those guys, Vivian Westwood and like those style hats, that sort of style was always in Japan as well. So like bigger style hats, wider brims, bow fleece, what else? Would- oh, brimless hats brimless hats is another one i'd say is is a i don't want to say it's predominantly japanese i I haven't looked at any other markets to see if it's really there i just know that it's very strong in japan and so by brimless hat what i'm talking about is like imagine like a six panel cap up top without a brim and around the perimeter would be it looks like a roll cap per se so it can either be like the same fabric as the top like kind of rolled up into like a brim um around the hat or it could be like a second like another fabric or whatever the case the bottom line though is that it's just like it's a six panel cap or four panel cap without a brim those sorts of styles are very strong um so yeah that's that's kind of that in a nutshell to be honest with you like if if anybody's trying to think about how japanese design kind of comes into play polo never goes old Let's just say that. So if you want to research anything, if you want to kind of get into uh, like a an inside view as to how Japanese designers think and what they reference, 
Polo never goes old. I will say that one more time. Yeah, he definitely has made his mark. <laughs> Great segue into just talking about some of my favorite pieces. Like I always like to share some of my favorite pieces from the brand uh, when I have designers on and get a little bit more insight about the design process. First one I wanted to do was the Eckerd beanie and like that boa fleece. Okay, so with the Eckerd, bit of a oh, an interesting story. I'll try to keep it short. Um, we were needing to expand our line. This is maybe like two or three. Uh, maybe like two and a half years ago, um, we didn't really have any knit offerings at the time. And part of it was because we didn't have a factory that could that could uh, do the the sort of things we were looking for at the time. So the, the factory that we currently still have, um, like he's not a knit hat maker per se, but he was able to reconstruct a beanie though out of boa fleece because boa isn't like when you buy a boa, it's like anything else like it's off the wrap or off the the roll and whatnot. So the approach to it is like any other fabric. Um, so with that said, when we were going to make the, the Eckerd beanie and whatnot, it was just our attempt at trying to make a beanie to fill in some voids in our, in our collection. And then luckily our, our factory was able to, to do it. So the name even like there's an old movie from the eighties uh, called red Dawn with like Charlie Sheen, Patrick Swayze, all these like very old eighties, A-listers. And um, from that movie, that's how we got reference to that style of the beanie. Cause it's actually based off like an old Russian military beanie. And then even the name itself is, is like named after uh, Charlie Sheen's character in the movie. But yeah, that's uh, it's still like one of our favorites and stuff. I think maybe later on, we're going to bring it back. Um, Cause it, it did well in that particular season. So we, we haven't brought it back since. So I think in the next like season or two, it will make its way back for fall winter though. Amazing. Yeah. I think it's still in stock on like some like stockist. So if yeah. anyone's interested, yeah. I'll find it and put it in the description. Cool. Um, another one that I really loved was the uh, Merino wool, like the chunky cable knit um, <laughs> in that beautiful, like Brown colorway. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to share about that one? Yeah. So, okay. So now that, basically we found our knit factories and whatnot um the chunky cable knit like we had first after finding the factory we came across um like a whole ton of different yarns and whatnot and the best ones that we came across were the italian merinos and the the reason why that one struck out the most is because the texture itself is not itchy whatsoever super super soft easy to, t- uh, to care for, uh, cold wash, dry flat, very low maintenance. But that particular brown one that you're talking about is like a Donegal uh, tweed, which is the reason why it stood out. Because when I looked at the, uh, the fabric swatch, it's kind of hard to visualize because you're just looking at this flat knit swatch. So you can't imagine how the cable is going to look in the final. But then you can see all the color specs in it. And I'm like, okay, regardless of whatever happens in production this fabric is worth taking a risk on and so that's that's literally what we did so we had a brown version and then just a regular black and like the black version i've been living in like pretty much every day for this past like winter and just it does the trick just super warm perfect height perfect length um i know that in the in next fall winter 23 it is coming back and we made a couple adjustments to the pattern uh like versus cable and then i think this time we're doing like a rib but yeah i think that's going to be like a staple that we're going to be de- like be definitely 
repeating as the years go on and whatnot, just kind of adding to it. Like Marina Wool is definitely going to be here to stay. And then as the years go on, like Cashmere is on, on its way next. Maybe mohair as well. There's some of the things we're trying to consider for the upcoming seasons. Super exciting. And it leads to like the next question of, you know, what other pieces have you been really into lately from the brand? Like what have you personally been wearing? Personally, okay, so from our we do another program called the reissue program. And so with the reissue program, this is more like small capsule and to date has only been available really in Japan. Um, none of our none of our stockists have it. This is only available through our found feather uh, online store. And so from the reissue, pro- reissue program, um, we recently did a military liner uh, hat series. And so it's like, if anybody's familiar with a uh, military liner, it's like the, the jacket liners for a lot of like the M65s and the, uh, the mod parkas and whatnot. Um, the original color obviously is that uh, fatigue green or like that drab green, but we found also a snow version and a few other colors as well. So this time we did the green and the white. Your question is what other pieces are my psyched on? I'm, I've been wearing um, the reissue sun hat and also the USN hat from that recent run that we did. So it's the white uh, snow camo military liner fabric. But the style, though, would be like a six panel uh, sun hat or the other one is the, the USN sailor hat. Those two have been aside from like the, the chunky cable net beanie, like those other two styles I've been living in day to day, like pretty much on a rotation, like every single week. One other one that I do have to shout out though, is the awning cap. And so not from fall, winter, this is from the the past spring, summer, the awning cap really turned a lot of heads for us, um, especially in Japan, because in Japan, like those sort of like shade caps, because, like, again, if you think about the climate in Asia, like, the sun is very, very strong. And then there's, like, these rainy seasons that uh, everybody gets where it's, like, a month straight of, like, rain. So protecting yourself from these sorts of elements, especially with, like, fabrics, and, like, getting, like, waterproof garments and all that sort of stuff, all of these things are very, very important. Um, with the awning cap, we did that last year. And it's our take on, like, a marathon running cap. But the difference being, though, is that the the shade unit is a detachable over the shoulder bag that you could use for either to like to store the hat when you're not wearing it or your wallet, your cell phone, whatever you need. Um, that caught a lot of eyes in Japan. It did okay overseas, um, but it was something that was in progress for probably almost like two years. Like the idea was a little bit older. It just took a lot of time to like finesse. But I knew that as soon as we did it, that it would not only catch a lot of eyes, but it would be pretty successful. And I, luckily, I was right. I mean, this last spring, summer is like one of our, the only few hats that we really couldn't keep in stock. Like every time we restock, they just like blow out. So the awning cap also is another one that we're super proud of because it just, it combined all these different design elements. It was just like a super interesting concept. Um, I think... A couple other stores for this coming spring summer also picked it up as well, which is good. But I think overseas it'll it'll pick up gradually as time goes on. But yeah, that's another one that I definitely want to shout out though. Yeah, it's such an incredible hat. 
And as you mentioned, like you're starting to gradually build your international stockist. You're at stores like Lost and Found and you know Calculus and Victoria. Um, yeah. You know, how has it been? You know, building out the uh, stockist list and you know making these connections to you know grow the brand. That's been an interesting one because everything has been during the pandemic, and so this is like before, like. I think last year everybody started traveling again for trade shows to this date. Uh, we haven't done so yet. And so everything was just via email, uh, Instagram really. And FaceTime, if I could be completely honest. And so what got us off the ground though, as far as stock is though, like, um, lost and found were they were like our day ones. And so, obviously from the same city and whatnot. Like I also worked with them for quite a few years when I was working at my, my old shop as well. We knew each other for a very long time. And so I knew that when making the brand, like guaranteed if one of the, the, the first shops that I wanted to hit up was going to be those guys for sure. And they've been with us ever since. So from lost and found, I want to say that calculus eventually came around and that was maybe a year later. With finding calculus and whatnot, like Graham, who is the guy from calculus, he had reached out via, I believe it was through Instagram as well, through Messenger. But it was just from, you know, Instagram encounters and whatnot. He just sent off a message and then we hit it off, sent him off a couple of styles to get it started. And to this day, we're still going strong with him as well. So that's how that started. And this is like pre-pandemic. So now that we're looking at pandemic and how, you know, all these other stores kind of hopped on, all that happened literally from, I want to say algorithms, <laughs> just contacts via social media and through FaceTime calls, like all these sorts of measures and whatnot, because again, we're not traveling. So yeah, that's, that's kind of how things kicked off. Like there's one interesting story, actually two that I want to share with some of the guys that we've met though. Um, there's one guy in the UK, he runs, uh, so his name is Tim and he runs uh, this thing of ours. If anybody's into the whole like outdoor tech uh, trail running, I want to call it kind of scene that's been going on for the last few years. He has really cornered, like cemented himself in that lane. So like he carries other brands like Kale, Anglin from Korea. He does Norbit as well. Like a lot of like super, not super tech, but just he has a specific look that he goes for though, but he, he, he kills it nonetheless. But with me and Tim, what's funny is that I had sent him an email and then we started talking via Instagram, but it's not even anything fashion related. We just start talking about music. So he's a hip hop head. I'm a hip hop head. And we just start relating on that level kind of growing out if you will but like just hit like a super good relationship just off of music alone so we've um you know we're continuing on with them as well like super happy to have them on board but like it just shows that like it doesn't always have to be fashion all the time like all these other things that you know you're interested in are other ways to kind of like gauge conversations and relationships and stuff and another one that's actually kind of funny another store in sweden uh meadow of malmo um very huge online presence really really great guys out of like malmo sweden the owner whose name is christopher um i had sent it we'd been in contact via email quite a bit and then through instagram it's it's really funny 
he's a recent father. And um, I think his baby at the time was maybe like three months old. And he had posted something on his stories about bringing his baby to work. And we started talking about fatherhood. So from fatherhood led to him hopping on to like, oh, you seem like a pretty cool guy. Yeah, cool. Let's get into your brand. Boom. Sends off an order. That's how it all started. So like just these very organic conversations that led to like one thing to another. And, you know, here we are. So again, like we're super stoked with everybody that we have on board thus far Um, to anybody else who, you know, might be interested in whatnot. Information is coming along for fall winter 23 very soon. Anybody hearing this, just hit us up at sales at foundfeatherism.com. And yeah, let's see whatever else is possible. But it's just very super chill and very lax. That's the the way that we approach things here. So I don't want to sound like the you know the old guy, but like I'm not the new guy either. And it's like I knew in starting this time around, like giving Found Feather a go, our goal is not to make millions of dollars. I mean. Granted, if it happens, cool. I'm not going to turn it away. But what I'm saying here is that like the the purpose in this whole thing is just, number one, enjoy the product. Two, put out the best that you can. And understand that, you know, it's not, it's like a, it's a marathon, not a race. That whole concept really drives home, you know, like, because if you get caught up in trend hype and a lot of like short-term gain, you're going to burn out pretty quick and fashion in general is not a glamorous thing to be working in straight up. Like it's a lot of, you got to really love it, man. Cause if you don't, you're going to get into, you're going to face a lot of disappointment. So like love what you do, be patient and just be a good person, man. Don't be a douchebag. It's basically it. Like another guy I have to shout out is, um, I think we, I mentioned this the last time is Yuki, Yuki Matsuda. So the main guy from uh, Yucatan, Mon Italy, Chamula, a whole list of different brands. He does a ton of different things. But um, I had met him years ago and I reached out to him when I was starting up the brand and wanted to like get his insight and understand how to like, I guess, uh, maneuver the Japanese industry a little bit more. And the first thing that he asked me totally caught me you know, with my pants down, so to say, but he's just like, how, like, how did he phrase it? He's just like, by email, he's just like, how good is your product? And he's like, if your product is as good as you think, everything else will happen. So all these other questions that you're asking about who are the buyers, how do I do this? How do I do that? Don't worry about that. Focus on your product and make sure it's the best that that it can be. Everything else will happen. And I, I remember that to this day. And like, that's exactly how we operate. It's just, you know, making sure the fits are on point to like the leathers that we use in the brim, everything has to be considered. So, you know, it's just focusing on all these other details before you get into like the glitz and glamour because without those raw details, you know, it's a very short road. Like you're not going to last long. So the best way is just that, that whole like, tortoise versus the the hare turtle versus the hare whatever analogy that is slow and steady wins the race whatever you want to call it that's literally what it is take your time enjoy it and just be patient such great advice and great that you have like people around you to kind of give you that that wisdom to kind of guide you and help you through this kind of wild path of like starting a brand or starting really any company right. um it's so important so crucial you know as you're looking at 2023 
you know, what should people be keeping an eye out for? Um, you can plug away. I know you have some events coming <laughs> coming down the pipeline. Yeah, yeah. So um 2023, basically. Oof. Okay, so once we get back to Japan, um we're gonna be dealing with production and whatnot and deliveries for SS23. We have events that are going to be popping off in Tokyo, in our area of, of Japan as well, in Kanazawa. Um, hopefully, Osaka and some other uh, cities we're going to get a chance to reach out to as well. Um, collaborations is another one that we're going to be super excited about. We have, there's some local collaborations that we're going to be working on. Another one that I can't really say, <laughs> I want to say, but I can't, it's a little bit hard. Um, well, let's just say there will be, if everything works out, it's just a matter of time. There's going to be some really good collaborations coming between us and some other heavyweights from Taiwan. Honestly, I think that's it per se. That's all that I could really say at this moment. But a lot, like the collection's going to grow as well again, and hopefully by, you know, by the end of next year or sometime soon. You know, we hope to start traveling for events and shows and whatnot because like we've had requests it's just we we haven't been able to do it just because you know me and my wife are both busy parents and just like busy with life so we haven't had the chance to you know do the whole trade show circuit and uh that sort of thing but hopefully that's another thing that we can kind of get off our, our to-do list this year and get out to like events in the states and also in europe as well to meet some more people yeah so a lot of things in the works everything will be you know linked in the podcast description for people to you know follow and check out the website check out some of the stockists um, cool. to learn more about the brand check out more of the pieces again absolutely incredible really one of the best brands out there when it comes to headwear um, thank again thank you so much for you know coming on the podcast no problem at all. Thank you for uh, the opportunity. And like I mentioned before, when you're out in Japan, hit me up and I will send over whatever recommendations that I can. This podcast is sponsored by Canoe Club. Canoe Club has been one of my favorite retailers for such a long time. So it's a real honor to have them you know, sponsoring the pod. If you're unfamiliar with Canoe Club, it's a retailer based out of Boulder, Colorado that carries brands such as you know, Engineer Garments, Visvim, Capital, Nanamika, Levi's, Orslo, you know, Friends of the Pod, Marnie, Solomon, and Popeye Magazine, and so much more. They have such an incredible assortment, you know, ranging from under-the-radar emerging brands to beloved heritage brands. I had the founder of Canoe Club, Timothy Grindle, on the podcast, which I'll have linked in the description if you're interested in learning more about the retailer. I'll also be showcasing some of my favorite pieces on the Fashion Collective Instagram, as well as in the weekly newsletter. The team over at Canoe Club has been very kind to offer a 15% discount code for all the Fashion Collective podcast listeners. Use code Fashion Collective 15 get 15% off your next order. Again, it is Fashion Collective 15 to get 15% off your next order. The link to the site will be linked in the description for you guys to head over and check out the assortment.